TK Butler from Frankly and Associate over at GetLeo.com. Check us out on the Canadian Real Estate Show podcast. You're listening to me today talking to Ken at the SME Stories podcast. You are now listening to the next great small business podcast. Welcome to the SME Stories podcast, where it is all about small businesses in Canada. And here's your host, Ken Alfred. All right, guys, thanks for downloading the show. We got a great episode today. We are in the real estate space once again with our guest, TK Butler of TK Butler Real Estate Corporation. TK is a second generational realtor following the footsteps of his father into the real estate industry. He signed up for the course back in 2005 and was licensed shortly after learning the ropes of the business from his father and some of the best coaches and mentors in the industry. Rising to success at a national brokerage for over 10 years, reaching the top of the company in sales after only a few short years. TK decided he wanted to grow even further. In 2017, he joined Remax West for their leading marketing systems and stellar reputation. He found early success in Remax, but felt there was still more room to grow. Having been exposed to Frank Leo and the system used to sell more homes than any other system in Toronto and for top dollar, TK knew he had to offer his best. Joining Frank in 2018 to allow his clients to benefit from the multi-million dollar marketing system was the best decision he had ever made in his career. The system has allowed him for more showings, more offers, and higher sales prices on his listings compared to anything that is being offered in all of Greater Toronto Area. I've known TK for over several years. I first met him when my kids were doing martial arts, specifically Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, at a former club we used to go to. TK was actually helping teach the class. TK is actually also an active competitor in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, or BJJ, always doing well in the gi and no-gi competitions. TK works really hard, aside from being a husband and father, to ensure his clients are getting top dollar, but are also getting top-notch service. So sit back and absorb. All right, guys, we have TK Butler of TK Butler Real Estate Corp. TK, how are you doing, my friend? I'm good, Ken. How are you doing? I am doing okay, although today it's, uh, what is it? Today's a Wednesday and it's very muggy, not muggy. It's very foggy outside. So Foggy, big time. Big time to try to get the kids uh, to their March break camp. Was, uh, I had to drive a little bit faster, but had to be more careful because of the fog. But uh, yeah, yeah, you got to do what you got to do. So, all right, TK. I'm happy to get the invite from you. I know you're, you know, reaching out. You got your podcast going. And you've got some steam that you're picking up. It's all about consistency, right? Just oh yeah. Keep I've, on making that content, right? I know it. Which was I originally before we even started. It was always hard for me when I thought about oh, if I should try to reach out to social media or start to release stuff. And the thing I was always wondering is like, I don't even know what I'm going to be releasing. Like, I, I don't know how those people who post every single day how they do it because. I'm like, I don't even know if I have that much interesting stuff to talk about or even to put out there. So, but surprisingly, yeah. you'll be fu- funny that you can actually find stuff to do, which is really interesting. Yeah. Having guests, I think is, is key. It kind of keeps things motivated. It also makes it interesting. Like talking to other people is, is fun, right? Like it's interesting to hear people's story and to, and to see what, uh, what they have going on in their lives. And that just gives you sort of some motivation. And once you start booking guests, it keeps you accountable and also listeners too. Like, I don't think anybody wants to hear me talk <laughs> for an hour once a week, every single week, and they're going to keep on tuning in. I'm just not that interesting, <laughs> right? But if I'm interviewing other people and I'm talking to other people and having conversations, then it becomes like, hey, you know what? TK is just like a character in the in the dialogue, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right, let's get started. So, TK, what is your story? What's my story? Well, you know, I'm I'm, I'm sitting here talking on a podcast today, so something's going well for me. You know, I'll, I'll talk about this this podcast. We just talked briefly about that podcast. And I want to just tell you about our podcast as well, too, because it's it's very similar to what you're doing. You know, try to make sure that, you know, we are 
providing information to people, trying to get as, as many people interested as possible who are looking at real estate related stories, although we get off track all the time talking about different things like macroeconomics and different policies that are more, you know, widespread sort of financial stuff. But we started in June 2020. And my friend Daryl and I, Daryl's a developer, you know, I'm a real estate agent. And we're just kind of like, we were doing a few other things. We we're actually doing some things that were like more just like social and having some fun because everyone's sitting at home. And we we did a few podcasts. We did a few like games nights, you know, we're doing some things on Zoom, right? And then one day, I guess, because him and I talked about real estate so much, he says, well, why don't we do a podcast on real estate? Why don't we just start talking about real estate and we'll just, we'll just see where it goes, right? And that was June, 2020. We've posted a video every single week since then. So we've got uh, hundreds of, of, of videos and thousands of you know people watching them and, and listening to them on all the podcasts and stuff like that. And I'm not saying we're the biggest and best thing around, but it sure does feel like we've made some progress coming up, coming up on two years, which is nuts to even think about that. Just that level of consistency each and every week and, and our listeners and everybody who's you know commenting and different stuff and our guests keeps keeps us accountable. So we started off as the Toronto Real Estate Show and it was just him and I. So we would just talk and then we would do things like market updates. We would talk about what's going on with the situation, with the with the health, the health scare that we've had over the last couple of years. We would talk about different, you know, news articles. We always bring up all these news articles and talk. And we, and we did good. And we were, and we were, you know, some videos were more successful than others. People were following us. I was getting a benefit out of it because I was constantly getting to sharpen my knowledge and constantly getting to keep up to date with information, which is what I need to do for my business. So that was really beneficial to me. And then one day, I can't remember who the first one was. I, I'll have to look back. But one day we brought on one of our friends to just talk with us to get more information. And people started really like liking it, you know? So then it was like, okay, well, who else do we know? Like, we're, like who, who's in our circle? So we started bringing on more. And then it was like, all right, let's start reaching out to people who are in Toronto. Let's start meet, reaching out to people who are all across Canada. Let's start reaching out to Americans. Like whoever is willing to come on this podcast that we think has got value for people to hear, we're going to invite them. And we had everything from, you know, real estate investors to contractors to mortgage people to... I don't know. You can you can check out the channel, right? So, so there's just been a ton of people who have, who have come on and we've had some really, really great discussions, funny people. We have a few regulars now who've been on like two or three times because they provide certain insights. And it was, and it was just, you know, it, we're kind of in the YouTube community too now. I feel like, you know, we've breached that wall of like, you know, there's a few guys who are, who are out there creating content on YouTube and we're unique because most people's channels are five, 10 minute videos, the typical stuff, right? Really good for, for views, really good for subscribers, all that kind of stuff. But we are the full hour long podcast format. And that's what we do every single week. So when people tune into us, we are the only one that's the full hour long that has the has the views and, and attention that, that we're getting. So that, that feels really good. And so about two weeks ago, one of the other guys who's also got a really good YouTube channel, Daryl and I had talked about this for maybe a year or, or less, but but definitely a long time we've been talking about it. It's like, well, we talk not just about Toronto. We only know Toronto real estate, but we also talk about like the, the federal government's announcements and, and what's happening across the province, what's happening in different parts of, of Canada. So we said maybe the rebrand now should be the Canadian real estate show and we could start getting more, you know, broader guests and, and start bringing on people who are 
at the you know national level like you know more just like market market uh, fundamentals that can apply in any market and uh, services that can be you know advantageous for anybody in any market and so last week or two weeks ago we we started with the Canadian real estate show and uh, now now that's what we're doing. We're doing the Canadian real estate show, talking about all the stuff that Canadian real estate is and, and isn't. And and the main thing for us, the big disclaimer is that, you know, we we don't know everything, right? And we're and we're not sure about a lot of the stuff we say and, and we just joke around and, and have a good time. And then it's been really, really, really fun. So I hope you get the same rewards that I that I get from doing it. Not not anything other than just enjoying talking to people every single week. That's really all it is for me. And, uh, you know, I'm having a great time doing it. So yeah, that's exactly what it's all about, right? It's just driving those conversations. And like you said, bringing on any every walks of life. Now, you know, yours is specifically geared towards real estate, which is great, right? And that maybe I can maybe get some of those uh, guests that may want to come on this show as well. That's been on your show, you know, well, maybe we'll talk about that later on. But uh, Absolutely. yeah, that's what I find very interesting about this whole podcast space. Like I told the listeners before, this wasn't something I had planned. It wasn't something that I had this you know, business plan to say, oh, I'll start putting out a podcast. It was just something that I was doing some, some, uh, one of my other side gigs was functional website and mobile testing. That's all I was doing. And that's why I was bringing in some extra money as well uh, that we have because I work full time. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, one of the requirements for some of these testing companies that you're working with is that they really want you to have good audio, right? So I thought, okay, let me invest in getting a, a microphone and then a little headphones and then some, all this sort of stuff. And then I had all this equipment that I'm like, okay, what can I do with this stuff? Right. And then I just remember, like you said, watching the news and all the, the government mandates and all that sort of stuff. And I'm thinking, man, it must be really sucky for all those small businesses. And then it just a light bulb went off to say, okay, well, let's hear some of their stories. Right. So whether it's positive, negative, neutral, whatever you want to call it, and to hear about some of these stories. But then it also got me thinking, okay, well, what if I'm sure the, the gig economy that a lot of people like to talk about nowadays is that you know, even if you have a full-time job, it's almost like you, you need that secondary income coming in just in case or just to supplement a lifestyle or anything like you, like you mentioned. And I thought, oh, that'd be interesting to talk about people who are even just pursuing a side gig and seeing how they're trying to run their business. And, you know, maybe bring on people who are like yourself that are pros at, at various different spaces and say, well, what if someone wants to get involved in the real estate industry? Well, we should have someone on there to kind of speak on, you know, here are the pitfalls, here are the red red flags and red lights that you got to think about if you want to get into the industry. Because I'm sure there are some people that, especially now that we're home more, well, I think nowadays we're in 2022 now, things are slowly starting to open up. But back in 2020, 2021, a lot of people were just like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do because we're just stuck at home. So that's kind of how this whole thing came about. And like you said, I've only been doing this, what, since January 2022. And like you said, consistency, weekly episodes and stuff like that. And I agree. I don't know if people want to hear me talk for an hour straight. So, and it's funny, the ones, the episodes that will last an hour are definitely the ones with guests. When I do solo episodes, because I know I'm getting more of a demand to do some of those ones, I might cut those down to maybe 20, 30 minutes and put those every so often. But yeah, interesting how time is, right? Yeah. Consistency, really. That's, that's all it is. You know, if you look at any of these channels or, or, or anybody who's got any success in any walk of life, just remain consistent, you know, just small, you know, incremental goals. And it's really just a game of whoever can last the longest, you know, will reap the benefits. So yeah. um, that's, that's been our mindset. No, that's great. And the last point before we get back to your story, because I noticed that when I first tried to do this as well, I was looking at, you know, like Spotify's, the Apple's and seeing all the small business podcasts there. And there yep. were a lot on there, but then there were a lot that only had like two or three episodes. They give up. 
they, they give up very quickly. Yeah. And some only have like yeah. three episodes and they were back in yeah. 2017. I'm like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's my experience too. Is a lot of people create a podcast, do three, four, ten episodes, and then they quit. YouTube channel, three I've had other YouTube channels, same thing. That's the story, right? So it's it's just about consistency. It's about making as many as much content as possible so that people can rely on you as being an expert and you know, depending on the video, the topic and stuff like that, they can go back. We get all sorts of views from a year ago. We we you know, we have sometimes videos taking off from from what I don't know, but all of a sudden now <laughs> there's thousands of views and it's just like, where did that come from? Right. Just because somebody picked it up and thought that that was a good, a good video at that time. Right. So, yeah, uh, but co- collaboration, that's been, been also something that I, I believe in, like in real estate, people are very edgy when, when it comes to like the competition side and all that kind of stuff, like it's really weird, you know, the way I've always looked at it, you know, like I really do hundred percent work with other realtors like for me the more realtors the better more 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 agents that are out there that are good more you know professional people i think that's something that we're attracting more now is we're starting to attract better agents better better business people and we can talk a little bit about that but there's definitely a a change in the old just you know go and get your real estate license as a second or third job or part-time or something like that to really young smart people coming out of school and saying i want to get into a career in real estate because of the the pros, right? Like all the, all the benefits that it can bring to you and your family. And, and that's, that's what it takes, right? I mean, that's what it takes to be able to raise the bar Absolutely. in any industry is start attracting, you know, better talent. And if people can see the potential that, you know, you have as being an agent, especially in the Ontario markets, it's, it's, it's lucrative. First of all, it's rewarding. It's something that you're going to be able to structure in a way that, you know, you, you would benefit from, you know, for, as long as you want to and, and turn it into like a, a typical career with, you know, a pension type, you know, retirement plan and everything else. Like you can do all that stuff now today. It's a lot different than it was when I started. And it's a lot different than it was, you know, back, you know, a few decades ago, for sure. Yeah, exactly. So, so let's go touch back there, which you just mentioned about okay. how you started this whole thing. So what was it about real estate, uh, TK, that just kind of got you interested that you wanted to get involved with it? I didn't want to get involved with real estate. You didn't? That's, I didn't. No. <laughs> Um, I come from a family of realtors. My dad has been licensed for 39 years or something like that. So before I was born. So I got to experience the ups and downs of real estate, which is the market goes up, everything's going well, the market goes down, life is changing, markets, you know, dictate moods, markets dictate, you know, prosperity, like there's just so many, you know, ups and downs to the way it is. So my mom always told me not to be an agent. She said, no, don't. Look at what happens with your dad up and down and here and around. And you're never secure. And, and this is this is what people do and say. And, you know, all these different things. So I, I always uh, said to myself, I don't want to be an agent. You know, I'm going to go do something else. And, you know, go to college, university and, and get a degree and, and uh, you know, become a professional. Like that was just ingrained in me by my mom specifically. My dad was never pushy. He never once said to me, you should be an agent. He outlined to me the the benefits like he would kind of just like subtly say things to me about like what it's like or or like how much money you can make i helped him with his business you know i helped him from delivering flyers as a kid to stuff at home with organizational things like there's a ton of stuff that i did to help him growing up so like it was just part of what it was but there was also other things like kids at school right like my dad was pretty successful so kids at school would come to say your dad sold us our house you know your dad helped us get our new house you know this we know your dad from here and like everywhere I would go. And my dad was always very like well-known, very popular, very liked. And there was always like 
there was an allure to that, right? Because it was always the same thing. How do you know my dad? Well, he's really, you know, real estate. I know, I know from whatever, whatever the circumstances were. And that was always something that I remember. Like, like people, my mom was a school teacher. So I'd get like young people, you know, say things to me like, you know, your mom's my teacher. So they'd be like, you know, kids age. But as a kid, I'd get adults saying to me, I know your dad. And so that became a real, I guess, subconscious level inspiration, right? To say like, wow, that's, that's something helping people. Everyone seems so happy with them. Like, you know, this is, they're happy to talk about him and, and mention his name. Like, obviously that's beneficial and that there is some interesting parts of the business, right? But again, did not want to be a real estate agent, had no intentions of being a real estate agent. It was, it was when I went to college, I went to Seneca for fire protection. And I thought to myself, you know, this is going to be a career that's going to lead to firefighting. And, and I really wanted to be a firefighter. And that was, again, helping people, rewarding job. I thought, you know, that's, that's what you do, right? And this was something that was going to benefit. And when I went to the fire protection program, and I was hearing all the stories, and I was talking to guys who graduated, they're getting jobs in Los Angeles and Vegas, and you know, a few other American stuff in the fire protection. And average age for the Toronto Fire Department was 31 years old. So I think I was 18 at the time. And I'm like, boy, like, you know, so what, I'm going to go work in the States and live down there for 10 years. And then I'm going to have to, you know, wait, like, it just, it wasn't the path that I thought it was. And after going to school, I realized I'm like, it's just, it's just not something I'm interested in. So during school, when I was 19, I signed up for the real estate course. And it was because another, honestly, is because another one of my friends had done it. And I was just thinking like, that will be like a, a job to do in the meantime, you know, while I figure things out, like it was just kind of a, a real, just really to keep not, you busy sounds like, right? Just to be like, yeah, oh, well, it was, it was I, I did not think that I was going to be going into real estate <laughs> for a career. Like I, I had no intention of that either, but I signed up for it. That's, that's the truth. That's, I, I signed up for it. I knew that I wanted to do something. I knew that I would be successful at whatever it is that I, that I did. That was, that was the truth. I had a very strong level of uh, success in other areas of my life. So I felt like, Whatever I do, I'm going to do well, and I'm going to make sure that I that I do the best I can. But I just didn't know what I was. I was young, and it was into if, into different things, and definitely was not mature by any means. So that was 2005, and I said to myself, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And and I did things at the time. I said, well, how am I going to know about housing? I don't own a house. I've never done much other than live in a house. Like, how am I going to sell houses? So I went and got a job as a contractor. So I, I got a job with like uh, my uncle, you know, some other guys that I knew, different people. And I started working on new build, building new construction houses, renovating houses, anything to do with renovations and building so that I could understand all the systems and figure out what, you know, how, how, the, how does a house even work, right? So these are all the areas that I, I focused on. And it was also money. Like I was, I was making, you know, uh, enough money to, you know, keep me, keep me afloat every single month. Not that I had a lot of bills. The advantage to joining real estate so young was the only bill I had was a $40 a month phone bill. Right? Oh, when it was like $40. Oh my God. Right. The, the citywide FIDO plan. Uh, that's all I had. <laughs> so I, I didn't have, I didn't have those bills. You know, the car I drove was like absolute garbage. Right. I'll tell you some stories <laughs> about that, but you know, like I, I had no bills. So for me, like I, there's a lot of pressure going into real estate, self-employed, you got, you know, commission income, that kind of stuff. But when you got no kids and you got no mortgage and you, I'm not even paying rent at this point, it's really easy to take a chance and not really be too concerned about succeeding or not, right? Like it is, it takes a lot of that pressure off you, right? So when I got into the business, we're in the middle of the great, the, re- the recession came right after that, right? So we had a pretty slow market the first year or, or so. 
2007, eight, like seven was good. Eight was like, you know, we're in the middle of it all. Nine was recovering, right? So those first few years for me were a challenge, right? And I was still doing deals. I think the second year in real estate, I was a top agent in my office. I was, I was still like, you know, pulling, pulling together stuff for a really young 20 something year old guy. I was still able to pull some of my friends and family members into the business and helping me out and, and giving me listings, mostly on the buying side too. Did a lot of leases. You know, I hustled. I did as much as I could. And uh, I drove a 2000 Chrysler town and country because in my mind, you had to drive people around. So I got a, a van, a minivan. And this van was horrible. You know, <laughs> it, it was, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of kilometers it had. It was just absolutely horrible, but it was what I could afford. I think I paid $2,500 for it. It's all I could afford. It had leather seats. It looked nice. It was clean on the outside. So I was like, this is presentable, but it had no air conditioning. And I remember touring people. I'm driving downtown, touring people on for condos. And, you know, it's the hottest day of the summer, right? Like 40 degree weather. It's brutal. And I got no air conditioning in a van with leather seats. So I got like a cooler with like ice cold bottles of water. <laughs> I'm like, they're all young people too. It's not like I have clients who are all mature and established. I got all these like people just graduating university looking for condos, right? So I'm handing out cold bottles of water, trying to keep them all happy and stuff like that. And, you know, you, you, you find your way, right? So you find your way and you get, you, you learn the ropes and, and you go through the process. But I'm very aware because I know that, you know, a lot of people give up in real estate and they, they have to maybe get another job or they, they don't want to take the risk of going full-time into real estate. And I'm very aware of the luxury I had of only having a $40 phone bill when I started. Right. Wow. And that I didn't, I didn't have to take any risks really at all. Pretty much. Right? Yeah. When you were living at home and like you said, I like, I can really, the $40 phone bill was the only thing that we had. We didn't have, we, internet was paid for, TV was paid for, the car was somewhat paid for. So you never, and you didn't pay for any car maintenance expenses and stuff like that because, you know, at that time, you know, you were li- I was living at home, so I didn't really have to worry. I was like, as long as I'm paying my phone bill that I can talk and try to have some some type of reception because I lived in the basement. So, you know, yep. back in the days where reception was really horrible, you know, I hope that's not the case yeah. now, but funny stuff. So, so for something back to your business now, so now with the market kind of going up, down, and I guess up, up, up lately over the last few years, like what kind, for mm-hmm. your business, TK, what kind of growth are you thinking that you're going to be seeing this year? I mean, my goals are always growth, right? I mean, I I think that we had a record number of sales in 2021, 121,000 sales in in the Toronto Real Estate Board. So that's something always take into consideration. If there's more sales in the market, it's going to naturally increase each and every individual's agent numbers. Now, how many, you know, how many agents are going to grow again? I mean, that just depends on how you're running your business and, and how you're able to attract new clients and what type of services you offer and, and what what specialties you have and stuff like that too. So I think it's, uh, you know, each person is going to have a different answer to that. But yeah, I mean, definitely mine is, mine is, mine is growing. It's already, it's already growing this year and I expect to do more transactions and, and, and volume than I did last year or this year. You know, again, there's, there's certain things that are out of my control. So I know what I, what I can do and what I can't do. And I know the things that I need to do. And I just do those things and the rest you know, there's a lot of human beings involved, right? So I can't control what all my clients are going to do or how they're going to react or when they want to move. And that those aren't things that I can do. All I can do is control the the system that, you know, we have in place in order to be able to maintain that business the way it is, right? So, yeah. Um, so of course, my goal, my goal is to grow. Exactly. And just also want to know as well, in terms of the type of services that you offer the provider, because I guess when people think realtor, they think, okay, you're just buying and selling houses. Do you do more than mm-hmm. just houses? Do you do other types of commercial types? And what are those other services? I've seen other real estate agents that 
you know, they say, oh, sign with us. And you get like this all in one where it includes a home staging and the inspection and the appraisal. And they all try to loop in a bunch of different people at once or a bunch of different services at once. Is, is that something you focus on or do you kind of focus on more niche type services? So to answer your first question, right? So I'm a, I'm a residential realtor. That's what I do. I do investment residential as well. So that sometimes involves commercial multifamily because anything that's going to be five units and above becomes now a commercial multifamily. So as long as people live in it, I sell it. Okay. So whether that's condos or houses or like apartment buildings and stuff like that, once you get into running a business out of it, you know, once in a while, there'll be a commercial unit involved. So that, that's something that I, that I deal with, but if it's strictly commercial, if it's, uh, you know, industrial, all that kind of stuff, we re- we refer it out because there's guys who are, who are specialists in that and they are uh, there for a reason. And there's definitely a lot of things that nuances that I don't understand that they're better off to handle. Instead of me wasting all that time trying to learn something as I go, I could be servicing three or four different people that I, I'm already an expert in and, and save myself a lot of time. So there is certain areas that, that I don't go into. You know, as far as services go, right? I mean, any 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 services can be provided at the end of the day, right? Like any services can be provided. Someone says, will you you know, bring in a cleaner? Will you, will you paint my baseboard and all that kind of, like any realtor can do that. So that's not something that I think is unique. I think when you're looking at what realtors are offering, when you, when you see people who are saying, oh, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're going to give you all these kind of stuff. I think what they understand, and this is from a personal experience here, I'm not trying to talk bad about other realtors, but from personal experiences, I know that if I'm trying to offer people all these additional services is because I feel like my real estate services aren't necessarily up to speed with everybody else's. So I don't think maybe I have the experience or I don't do enough volume or transactions or I, I don't have the you know knowledge, confidence. And so then I start you know trying to do all sorts of stuff. And I'll give you some background. So when I started, I was just talking about this yesterday with somebody. When I started, because I was at a house last night cleaning the floor because of, of an issue that came up that, I had, that had to be addressed by this morning and it was, there was no other option other than me going there with a mop and cleaning the floor. So like I do what I got to do. But I was telling the person I was with uh, about all the things I used to do. And like I used to like re-shingle people's roof. Because remember, I did all that contracting stuff. So I got a very broad experience in those few years of, of working with the trades. So I was like hiring roofing teams of guys and we'd go in and re-shingling people's roofs for me to you know get a new listing. We would do like demolition work. We would do like cleanup. We would do painting, drywall, uh, all, any type of interior renovations, flooring, like anything that you can think of. I took on a listing at one point in time where the deal that I made with the seller was you give me the listing and I'm going to do all these services for you for free. Right? Yeah. Wow. So you, you name the service, I promise you, I was involved at some level, maybe even just providing some money because again, you know, I'm new to the business. I don't have a lot of business. I just want to get a listing. I'm only selling X amount of listings a year. And, you know, people are saying to me that these are the things, these are the problems that they need solved. And this is, you know, I can't sell unless I get this done or I can't, you know, I'm not willing to go with somebody who provides me the most value, whatever it was, I was there saying like, I want your business. Tell me what I got to do. So this is normal. This is normal when you're, when you're just starting out and you're really trying to get experience and you want to build your brand and all that kind of stuff. Now, if you hired the TK of today compared to the, the TK 13 years ago, you're getting two totally different agents, right? <laughs> you're not, you're not getting the same guy. I know everyone thinks it's really easy and like, oh, you know, this is, this is, don't, it's just putting up the sign and getting it sold. I can promise you that there's a big difference with me. I'm just talking about me, me today and me 
however many years ago, even five years ago, there's a big difference. You're, you're getting, a, you're getting a lot more value today than, than ever before. And when people aren't asking me to paint their houses and, and, you know, do all these other type of services anymore, because they recognize what, what is the most important thing, which I'm going to talk about too. I'm just, I'm, I want to kind of give you a bit more in the background stuff. So as I, as I grew, right. So again, you know, like wildly successful, my, my, my first full year in real estate, I was the top agent in the office. Didn't expect that at all. Wasn't something that I tracked at the time or even really knew that that was a thing, to be honest with you. I just worked every day trying to make sure that I sold as many places as possible. That was just the goal every single day I woke up. And so then I kind of realized like, okay, you know, like maybe I've got a little knack for this because people are telling me things and they're saying stuff at the office, which, you know, it wasn't a big office. It was like 75 agents or something like that. And so my dad working at that office as well. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm learning, you know, a lot as I go, which is what you do in real estate. You learn as you go. I'm still learning today. There's still deals that I work on where something new comes up, but I'm, I'm learning something new all the time. And so I realized that what the new trend was, was starting a team. So then, but 2011, I started a team where I had, I had a new agent. I had a friend who, who got in the business around the same time as me, joined me. I had my dad. I think those are the first few. And I built it up to about six people um, at the time between 2011 and 2016. And, uh, you know, we did a lot of transactions. We did well. So, you know, remained again, the top producing uh, team at the office. We, you know, we, we sold a lot of properties. We, we had a lot of successes, learned a lot of way. I was getting coached by all the, you know, the best coaches out there. I was uh, going to training seminars, you know, really investing in the business, trying to make sure that I learned as much as possible so that I could have a really good foundation and, and a system in place. And I tried, there's a, there's a saying in, in real estate, if you, the only guaranteed way to make money in real estate is to sell things to real estate agents, because every other thing is market dependent. You don't know what, but if you're selling a product that real estate agents will buy, those guys will buy anything. Okay. And I was one of them. <laughs> so I would buy every product and training course and tactic and all sorts of stuff, trying to find the shortcut and getting business and, and all that stuff. So I did all those things. And I, you know, grew it to the point where I was happy and, and there was, you know, good business structure, income, all that kind of stuff. And in 2016, the company that I was with sold. So we had, you know, this, this run of everything's just sort of status quo at the office. My business is growing each year. It's getting like better and better. Some years doubling, some years, maybe 50% or more, but really just growing is in a healthy in a healthy way that I was very happy with. And then the business sold and the new owner came in and I was part of the sale. So it was like, I had to stay on for a year because of non-competition, stuff like that. And, and it just wasn't a good fit. So, you know, that's all it was. It wasn't a good fit. My business still did well. But at the end of the year, I was like, I really got to get out of here. This is not the same company that I was working for before. So I decided to go to another company called uh, Remax West, right? So that's the company that I'm with today, Remax West. And it's a brokerage. So even though you, you announced that I'm from Tiki about the real estate corp, that's my real estate corporation, which is something I'll talk about in a bit. But Remax West is the brokerage. That's what I trade under. That's what I'm registered under. And in 2017, we had the market crash. We had a, we had a serious adjustment in pricing and strategies and all that kind of stuff in the areas that, you know, that I work in. You know, I think condo markets were less affected. Other places were less affected. But definitely in the GTA, single family, detached, semis, all that kind of stuff. Those properties were, were affected big time. 10, 15%, sometimes more if you're in New York region. And I noticed a significant decline in business, in, in volume, in all sorts of stuff, right? So it was still okay. It wasn't like I was thinking that the market had completely shifted on me, but it's considerably, considerably, you know, slower, considerably more difficult to sell properties, right? Considerably 
less happy clients, really. They were, they were not happy with you anymore because the market had shifted and you couldn't get it sold. And that was the, you know, the reason they called you in the first place, right? So buyers were hesitant to buy. There's there a lot of stuff going on. And so that year, because I'm with Remax West, they always talked about this Frank Leo guy. They said, oh, you know, Frank Leo, Frank Leo, we would be the next Frank Leo. And I was like, honestly, I don't care. Like, you know, I'm CK Butler. I, I got all, I got my stuff figured out. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, Frank wasn't in my radar. He just, he was a West End agent. He was just like any other agent to me. I didn't value like him as being like at the top of the heap by any means. But now in the market's crashed and everything's changing and all the agents are all talking about the same thing at the office and online and everything else that, you know, can't sell this, can't sell that, market this, market that. Well, I'm now exposed to Frank's sales because I'm in the Remax West and the company and I start seeing 300,000 over asking, 400,000 over asking, 500,000 over asking at the time when nobody else is selling anything. Like it's like, it was crazy. It was like, how is this guy still selling houses? More money over asking. And that was the year he was the number one individual Remax agent in the world. And I was like, all right, like he something's must be doing going on something, here. Right? Yeah. Something, right? Like I was just like, it just, it just piqued my curiosity. All I wanted to do was just go and like talk to him because I'm with the company. So I talked to the manager. I said, you think you can talk to me? And they said, yeah, he's a great guy, this and that. So I said, okay. So I had a conversation with him and he said, why don't you come in and talk to me, right? Because at the time, Frank was in the West. He was starting to move over to the East, but not that much. He actually referred out a lot of his business to other brokers in the East End at the time. All of his agents, 100% of them lived West of Young Street. They were all in the West End. And he saw, I guess, some value in me being in the East End, knowing, you know, the area and all that kind of stuff. So we talked and he, and he kind of just showed me everything. He says, like, look, this is what we do. He's like, have you ever seen anything like this? This is what we do. And this is why and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, blown away. I was like, I could never because one of the things that I do or I did when I would go and meet with somebody is I would say, you know, I am doing everything possible to sell your home. Nobody out there is doing more than me. Maybe some people are doing the same as me, you know, virtual tour, feature sheets, YouTube videos, social media, whatever. But I am doing everything that's out there. There's not one more service because I'd been to all the trainers. I'd been to all the marketing guys. Like I knew what was, was available, open house, all that kind of stuff. So I was confident in telling people like you're hiring me, you're not missing anything, right? So good news is we're going to get your home sold for whatever it's worth the highest possible price because I'm doing the most. Well, after I met Frank, that was no longer true. After I met Frank, I said, I can't say that anymore, right? Like <laughs> this guy's spending millions of dollars and I'm, you know, I got a shoestring budget here. You know, there's no way that I'm that I'm going to ever, you know, mention those words again, right? So, so sorry, TK, sorry, sorry to ju- sorry to jump in there. So, what 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 was uh, one or two things that he was doing that you weren't doing at the time that you thought, oh, I got it all covered, and then you speaking to Frank, and then you're like, yeah, oh, well, one. I mean, I'll I'll just sum them all up, right? So, you know, paying for online advertising, driving traffic to the website at a very high level, you know, the bus shelters that are, uh, you know, all over the city in order to attract attention online. Radio ads, which again, bringing more online attention, TV commercials, online attention, banners, billboards, uh, newspapers, magazines. Wow, he was all uh, over. You know, so that... He still, he still is bigger, wow. bigger, more, more now than ever, right? So... Interesting. Yeah. So like, again, just, I was like, all right, like I could never even think about doing all that, that marketing for exposure on a client's properties. And because I'd seen the difference, like I saw at the time when the market was not doing well, I saw at the time that there was significant improvements to, you know, or or significant value in what he was doing for his clients. 
right? Like what he was doing was working. So I was like, I was like, okay, like now I see why he's spending the most amount of money. Nobody's spending even close, right? Not even close. Million, the second place budget in Toronto is millions of dollars below what he's spending. So at that time, and there's much more now. Wow. But so I said, cause I, again, I was involved with big team organizations. So we knew, like, I got to see all the business plans of, of teams across the GTA. I got to see like what they were doing because the coaching and, and everything else that I was a part of. So I got to see like, what people would do and how much they were spending and all that kind of stuff. And nowhere was, no one was close to him, like nowhere, not, not even, not even near him. So anyways, I, in 2018, you know, I had to humble myself and I had, and I took a, it took a long time for me to do this because my name's on the sign, my team, the reputation, like all these things, right? Like, and I'm like, this is, this is big that my name would be the brand and, and going forward. Right. And, and, and how am I going to give that up? So I called one of my friends who's a lawyer who's not a named partner, but he's a partner. He owns the, he owns the, the firm. And I said, they're like, how do you feel when you, you know, on your letterhead, it said, it said, there's no, you know, your name's not there. You know, like it says, so somebody other, else's name, but you're one of the partners. And he says, TK, he says, all I care about is taking care of my family, helping the clients that I have, making sure that everything gets done. He says, what, what does it matter to me if it's my name or somebody else's name? He says, that's just my ego telling me that, you know, I deserve that, right? And uh, I said, okay, you know, I said, maybe that's, you know, maybe that's my hang up and, and maybe others hang, hang up as well. It definitely is for sure. Cause I see people put ads all the time with their big face all over it. Who that the ad's not successful. I can promise you that, but it was just about getting their face on something for their, for their, for their kids to see or whatever. But I said, you know what, let's, let's, you know, take Frank's offer and, and become, you know, a part of his brand. And I get to run my business inside his. So I'm more of an entrepreneur than an entrepreneur uh, on the real estate sales side now. And that was 2018, um, which, you know, over three and a half years later, I've, I've been the top producing agent on the team the last two years. I've had, you know, more sales and more success than I've, than I've had in, in my, my business before. I'm helping people that are in way more dire need for help than ever before, you know, because the type of people who call Frank, because we're the number one team in Toronto, you know, we sell the most homes. We, we top Remax, one of the top Remax teams in the world. And, you know, it just the type of the type of people who come to us are the ones who are really, really struggling and really need help. So I get to problem solve much bigger problems today, which is my 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 thing. Right. So hmm. it's been great. Now it's been great doing what we do and getting involved in, in all the things that we do. And it's just a bigger organization. Right. So the real estate business is pretty Mickey Mouse and, and they don't hold, you know, especially my my time coming in. Right. It was very, very loose. The open book, you know, open. What's it called? Uh, yeah, open book test. Like I got to bring my book with me for the exam. You know, like they don't really care. It's easy to get your license. Now it's like, it's a Humber college. They're really working on improving the professionalism of the, of the agents, teaching them about marketing, teaching them about business plans, all that kind of stuff, accounting, yeah, making it better. I, mean, right? I think before too, I think a lot of times I've heard maybe many years ago that it was all about just memorization. That's all it was all about when you want to become a real estate agent. It was, oh, I just got to remember a bunch of terms and terms and terms. But very few things were, you know, I think the approach nowadays for a lot of businesses is to not just educate you on the material on, on how to do things, but actually how to market it and, and run a business itself for it, right? Whether your goal is to actually start your own business or not, but just knowing that other side of it, aside from, let's say, the technical knowledge of, in this case, selling, buying and selling a home. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So again, open book exam. So how hard was it, right, for me to get we get those test tasks, right? I got to bring the book with me with all my notes. Like, so, so there's no open book anymore moving forward for those. No, who no, no. There's, there's more exams. There's, it's definitely more difficult. They crack down on a lot of things. Um, 
for sure to, oh, to be able to okay. to be able to do it. So some of the benefits of me being on the team, right? So you know, being an entrepreneur is great and and having your own business. I still get to be an entrepreneur. There's still other ventures that I get to do. There's still other investments, you know, developments, you know, other businesses that I that I get to take part in, right? So it's not like being an entrepreneur is, you know, given up just because I, I, I joined a team. I still get to do all the things. I still get to run my business inside of his business. I'm still dealing with my own clients and people. I'm still putting money out. I'm still organizing my my books. I'm still doing all the stuff that any other entrepreneur would do. It's just the, the, the brand. It's like a franchise, basically, right? Instead of me, me saying, you know, TK's fried chicken, you know, I go and buy a Popeye's. Right. And so, yeah, that's not my name, but it's still my business. You know, I'm still there responsible paying for all the goods and, and ensuring that, you know, the business runs itself, taking care of the customers and, and making sure everyone wants to come back. So I still get to do all the, the fun stuff. It's just there's much less risk for me today. So I, I don't have to put out the money in order to be able to to fund the the funnel of our opportunities and the marketing of the properties themselves. I get an amazing support. We have an amazing team. I get to deal with like I'm, I'm in like a little family as opposed to me being on my own with my small little team. Like I'm in this huge family where everyone's supportive, trying to help each other, doing doing everything that they can for each other. I've got training support that is nowhere else on the planet earth as far as the level of training that we're getting. It's it's phenomenal what we're doing and how we're improving our skills and, and knowledge. I've got the resources that the team has. So me, the, what I'm offering people to market their home you can't get anywhere else. Like the, it just doesn't exist anywhere else. Um, uh-huh. Literally, like not even because we we mastermind with some of the biggest teams in North America. Nobody does what Frank does. Like nobody, not even close. It's ridiculous. And anybody yeah. listening to this podcast who lives anywhere near Toronto has heard of Frank. I know that, and it's and it's because of the marketing, right? Yeah. What what other agent can say that that every single person in the GTA knows who you are? Um, it's pretty it's pretty powerful. Yeah. Sorry, let me so just benefits. Very, yeah. One so one thing I want to talk about too is actually so. So TK, we're going to hit this part of the show now where we're just talking about the actual industry. Now we kind of went all over, talked about different states of real estate. So what did, in your opinion right now, as of 2022, what's your opinion on what the real estate industry is is and where its current direction is going to be going? So the schooling is amazing. There's 10,000 new people registered right now at Humber College. There's a ton of new agents coming. They're going to be the best agents ever, right? They're going to be the, they're going to be better trained. They're going to have more resources. They're going to have more knowledge. There's still going to be a high rate of attrition. There's still going to be, uh, you know, a lot of people who aren't able to cut it, and that's fine. That's normal. But the people who are going to be coming out are going to be coming out well prepared, and that they're going to have less of the issues that some of the other realtors have. Like, uh, you know, a big one, a big one, just organizational stuff is is an issue with realtors because they are not uh, held accountable by anybody. Your broker just takes your monthly fee or a percentage of your commissions or whatever, and just lets you do whatever you want. Because if they pressure you, you might leave and they want to keep that, that revenue source. Right. So unfortunately that's one of the downfalls. And I think that people will be more well-prepared to run a business as opposed to a a job in real estate. Mm. Right. Yeah. I I meant uh, just the actual way, the, the way the housing market is right now, like you hear, all these different things that they're, they're trying to, I think the government is trying to call the, the price. They're trying to reduce the demand for it to hopefully get the prices down. Cause I know that everything's yeah. going up, up, Every, up. Everybody wants that answer, Ken. Everybody yeah. wants that answer. Yeah. I mean, what did you think was going to happen in March, 2020 when the lockdown came? Yeah. I didn't think it was going to be the price were going to go as high as they were, but then it just, but did you think the prices would go down when everybody's sitting at home and the, the world's facing an economic disaster? 
I'll be honest, I didn't really think too much of it to be like, okay, we're not, I didn't think, I thought the market was just going to stay stagnant or just like stay level. But then I guess okay. what I'm starting to see now, I don't know if this is true or not, maybe you can see from the end, is that I'm seeing like almost, it seems like instead of the single family trying to buy a home, I'm, yeah. I'm seeing, I'm just thinking it's more multi-generational families trying to pool their money in to buy a home to try to spread it amongst themselves. I don't know if that's really a thing, but I'd, I'd yeah, be surprised sure. if, if that wasn't uh, a strategy, because it's like, if you think about it, if let's say you and let's say a couple of your friends, y'all can't buy it individually because w- whatever the thing is, because the prices are too high, pull it together. All right, we'll, we'll all live together for a few years. Hopefully it'll appreciate enough. And then maybe I'll, you know, you'll split it and you'll either buy it out or whatever this strategy is so that they can take some of the portion of that money and they can now afford to buy their own place. Right. So then you're mm-hmm. kind of separating it, but just to get in just to get a home, you just pull all your resources together. Right? What, what's your thoughts on stuff on that? Yeah. I mean, thing? that's always been happening. That's it's happening more now than ever, but it's always been happening. Family's always been buying real estate together for affordability issues. I think that the market right now is very unaffordable, unfortunately, and definitely got a lot of risk in it. You know, when you look at when you're buying, it's actually the market right now where people lose the most amount of money when they sell. Okay. Really? So prices are high. And it's easy to sell your home, but selling it for the most amount of money is not that easy because there's hundreds of thousands of dollars left on the table sometimes when people go and sell a property. You know, they didn't use the right strategy. They didn't, you know, get enough people through the door. They didn't negotiate well enough on offer night. There's a lot of stuff that happens that I witnessed myself personally that is like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of money left on the table. In a, nor- in a more flat market, that number is actually a lot smaller mm. um, because there's only so much buyers are willing to pay, right? If they're going to go one way or another. But sometimes we have offers that come in. Like I had a, I had a house that I was selling. It was at Baby and Finch and it was an executor. So it was an estate sale. So the executor's in Europe and we sold the property. I got, I got a few offers the one night and I had to get them to give me a timeline until the next day. So that night, we, you know, we got $85,000 more than the last sale, which was good. Market had gone up. They felt good. And I called her the next morning and said, okay, we got to accept this offer because it's, you know, good until this time. And it's $85,000 more than the last sale. What do you think? She says, oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Let's, let's take it. And so I said, okay, we've got actually about another like six or eight hours before these offers expire. Why don't we just wait and see if anybody else comes to the table? So sure enough, about two hours later, a guy calls me, is it available? I said, well, we had these great offers last night. We're just about to accept the executors in Europe. But if you send me a better offer, you know, and make sure it's your best, you have a chance still because they haven't signed anything. So an hour later, I get an offer from the guy. It's $240,000 more than we were just about to accept. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. So wow. I called her back and said, are you happy now with more, you know, more money? Right? And obviously <laughs> she was, right? So that's, the, that's what I'm talking about is everyone thinks like, oh, she was happy with that price. People sell to their neighbors. Oh, they're giving me a great number. People sell it in one day. You know what I say when people sell in one day? They, oh, we sold it in one day. I say, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. You know, we, oh, really? we reach eight point, we reach 8.1 million people in a week. So if you only had one person come through or how many people came through in a day, imagine how much more money you could have got if we drove that many more people through your house in the course of a week and had everybody competing for it. Right. But it felt good at the time because prices went up so much. So sellers think, oh, I'm getting away with, with a huge price here. But some of the prices that we get are way above, like last week I did one that was you know, almost $200,000 more than the sellers expected and that any of the data supported. 
Yeah, that's what I found weird about it too. And I remember the only tips, like I, I think we were lucky when we got this place in Ajax because the seller, this is back in 2014, that the selling agent was like, I hate multiple offers. You pay asking and we're good, right? So we're like, okay. We talked about it and we, we I'm getting this house on, we sold it in a day, we bought it in a day. That would sell our mm-hmm. old home was a bit of a, a bit of a struggle. But uh, mm-hmm. nowadays, you know, Mrs. K, you know, my wife was always saying, when she hears about how much we could sell our house for, she's like, oh, maybe we should sell our home. And I'm like, and move where? Right. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. she's like, oh, if, let's say we can sell our home, let's say for a million dollars. Yeah. You know, and she's like, wh- wh- and I'm like, where do you want to move to? Well, we used to live in Young and Finch. So maybe we'll move to Young and Finch. I'm like, yeah. readers, sorry, listeners can't see this. My eyebrows are going through the roof right now. I'm like, Young and yeah. Finch. For a million dollars. Yeah, a one-bedroom condo. Uh, yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. One-bedroom condo. You get two bedrooms. You get two bedrooms. Maybe a den. Yeah. But yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's weird how prices are. And I remember telling anyone who's ever going to buy a home, I, said, I think you said, you were kind of touching on this, is that put your best offer. That doesn't mean, you know, you go broke offering something, but something mm-hmm. that you can still sleep at night, but the most. Because I think from what I've heard is that when people sometimes lose out on properties, is that let's say they, they might've lost it for maybe, maybe whether it could have been $500, even a thousand dollars. And they had that thousand dollars they could have thrown in the bid and they lost mm-hmm. it because of that. So do you find people who are missing out on it aside from whether it's unaffordable or not, they still have that holdback of saying, Oh, well, if the price is a million, yeah, well, we can only do 995,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That happened to me two days ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. So buyers, buyers, you know, made an offer, uh, should have gone up more, was worth more. And uh, they lost out because, you know, their, their mindset was stuck on, I don't want to pay more than this. Now, because the market's moving still in that area that they're looking in, the prices will actually be higher the next time that they, um, that they have to make an offer. That's, that's the way the market's going. And it already has, like, there's already been another listing that came out. That's even now the next level up, right? So it's, they'll look back and say, oh, we should have just gone and paid that price. And that's what I'm talking about is people lose the most amount of money, not just on the seller side in this market, but also on the buyer side, the two ways. One is not figuring it out soon enough that the market's been going up fast and that you need to pay the price today that may not feel so good at the time, but it's going to appreciate because you bought the right property. You don't make money when you sell real estate, by the way. Mm. You make money when you buy. If you don't buy right, doesn't matter what you do when you sell, you're not going to make money. And so the other side of that is people overpaying. So on offer night, somebody comes in, a guy who paid $240,000 more, he didn't have to go up to that price. I can give you examples almost every single week of a house that I sell that somebody overpays for because of the system that we use. But that's, again, something that could have been avoided, right? If the, if the buyers had you know more in-depth understanding of the market, and, and so then they would be more educated, then they would be able to you know appropriately offer on a property that wasn't overpaying. And, 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 and how, what I define as overpaying is how much more money the first place guy is compared to the second place. That's what it is. Mm. So, so do you think it's more of the, the buyer seller uh, reason for overpaying or, or selling too quickly? Or is it their realtor who they've hired not really guide them in the right direction? Well, it's always a realtor's fault, no matter what it is. So if, you know, the house wasn't cleaned properly, it's the realtor's fault. If it's on a busy street, it's the realtor's fault. If, uh, you know, they bought the property and then they lost their job, it's the realtor's fault, right? So that's <laughs> so what that's happens, one right? Of the so no matter, no matter what, I guess. The, no matter what, the real estate agent will get blamed when, when things don't the way that they should. And it's just, it's a job description. It's, it's what we're in the business for. You have to 
take responsibility and do everything you can to really guide clients the right way so that they understand the pitfalls. Because if it doesn't go the way that they thought it was, it's because I didn't explain it to them properly in the beginning. And when they're successful, when they buy a house and it goes up 200 grand, you know, in, in two months, or they, you know, they, they buy the right property and, 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 you know, someone knocks on their door and is willing to offer them more, you know, as soon as they move it, whatever the story is. Now they're the geniuses. It wasn't TK, the realtor who helped them buy that place. It was, they, they're the geniuses for picking that place. Right. So hmm. we, we, we don't get the credit we deserve sometimes and we take on more blame, responsibility than we need to. That's it's just the way it is. Now it's time for tips from the pro. Well, let's touch upon like now there's more like the tips from the pro segment here. Where So this is specifically for someone who's they're just trying to get into the real estate market as an agent. They say, I'm just starting, you know, so yep. should I focus at this mar- in, the, in the present market? TK, so question one, should I focus on buying or selling? Which one would be more lucrative for a new agent to try to start with? I would recommend you join a team. That would be, I was lucky enough because my dad was in the business, so I had a mentor. But why not spend six to 12 months working on a team somewhere? Why not go and reach out to a team or an experienced agent in the office or anybody just to be able to have an exposure to what the business is? Like, like what are you going to lose? Unless you have all these clients already and that you don't need to worry about buyers and sellers. Do I think you should focus on buyers or sellers? No, I think you should focus on selling properties, whether that's you know one or the other work on work on getting yourself out there. But in order to speed up the process, you should be looking at partnering up with at the very least, somebody who's more experienced, so that you can have a much steeper learning curve. Okay, excellent. So it's good advice. So second question is, what should I look for in a brokerage? So you're brand new, you just, you know, you graduated from Humber, you finished your real estate one. And you know, you have to look, I think for in, in Canada, I believe as well, as an agent, you have to work as part of a brokerage. So what should yeah. someone who's just getting involved look for in a broker to say, whether it's going to fit their lifestyle or their personality, what should we, what's some of the red or even red flags of a, maybe a good brokerage versus a bad brokerage? Red flags is they're offering you like no fees, right? You get what you pay for. So if they're telling you that you're, you know, there's no fees and it lists 0% this and da, 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 you've got problems. So what I would say is, you know, find somewhere that you're comfortable with that's convenient, that fits your brand, because there's different types of properties and a different personality. So, you know, maybe there's luxury brands and there's suburban ones or downtown. So find one that fits your brand and uh, talk to agents who are already working there so that they can give you insight into how it works and talk to as many different brokerages as possible so that you can see what is important to you because you don't know any better. So you might as well hear what everybody's offering so that you can make the right decision for sure. But never pick it because they're offering you lower fees. Worst decision you can make. And what's a reasonable fee that someone should consider like um, versus, you know, because like I said, I've never been, become a real estate agent before. So, so there's different know. structures. There's percentages, there's monthly fees, there's all sorts of stuff. And it, and it really depends on where you're at with your business and what they're willing to offer you when you do join. But go and get all the offers from everybody and then then decide on what's be actually being offered for that fee and what's going to be provided to you. So like a brokerage shopping kind of thing where you just look at a few different yep. brokerages. Oh, okay. So that's a, that's a good tip to know. Yep. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't have known yep. that either. Definitely. So yeah. Like, next question. What is, because uh, I think for a lot of realtors, especially new ones, you know, they get their listing or they buy their first property and they get so happy because they're like, okay, I've made some kind of money now, right? Because before it's like just trying to land that first deal. What is yep. a good tip or trick that you can imagine to try to keep your funnel somewhat full that it's not about just landing that first deal, but it's making sure you have consistent deals that you're always busy or, or I wouldn't say busy. Let's say you're steady. 
what what are some quick mm-hmm. tips that you can provide the new agent on that? Don't get caught up in the active business that you have, right? And maintain a, a schedule to prospect and, and bring on new clients, right? So even if you have 10 clients who, you know, now all of a sudden want to go look at properties and they want to meet with you to, to sell their home, don't now neglect the process that you're using in order to get those clients push those clients aside. It's hard to do. You think, oh, I got to make everyone happy. No, tell them, look, I'm not available today. I've already got a full schedule because part of that schedule should be looking for new clients because one day those clients are going to buy and sell and then you're going to wonder why you don't have any on the table ready to go. Right. Okay, perfect. And last question on the tips from the pro segment here. So what is the best strategy to deal with difficult clients? So obviously the, whether it's the first time or the one that's been, they move so many times that they feel like they almost know everything. So how do you deal with something like that? Do you take them on? Do you outsource them to someone else? My clients aren't uh, ever difficult. They're misinformed. You're dealing with one of the most stressful situations in your life moving. It's a very difficult situation. So nobody's ever crazy. Nobody's ever got problems. Nobody's ever unrealistic. They're just, there's information that they don't have. And it's my job to give them that information. And I have to have compassion for what their situation is. They're dealing with, they're dealing with all sorts of different things that I sometimes can't even understand because I've never been in those situations, whether it be death or divorce or whatever. And, you know, that's, that's the main thing is I never look at them as bad people or difficult people or crazy or unrealistic or anything like that. That's, that's a negative mindset that will only, it'll become true, right? If I start, if I start thinking like that. So main thing is I need to provide them the information that they are missing in order to be able to understand the situation that they're in. Have you ever had to pass on a client? Because let's say, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying this is going to be a norm, obviously. I think for the most part, this is probably makes up a very small percentage of your clientele. But has there ever been an instance where you'd be like, you know what, it's not a good fit, like in terms of us working together? I wouldn't say that it would be like passing on them per se. It would be like just outlining what it would take in order for them to be able to achieve their goals. And then, you know, usually they're the ones saying, well, no, that's not the way that I want to go. And then I just say, okay, no problem, right? So it's not, it's not like I'm saying, no, I don't want to deal with you because I think you're crazy, but you're willing to do it the exact way that I recommend it. No, if they're willing to do it the exact way that I recommend for them to achieve the best results, then we, you know, yeah, maybe personalities are different, but you know, we'll, we'll make it work. But if they come back to me and say, well, no, I want to list that, you know, way higher than you suggest, or I want to go and look at properties in this area that I can't afford or whatever then, you know, I just guide them and say like, look, when you're ready to go and do all this type of stuff, I'm here for you and we'll make it work. Now it's time for the rapid fire round. All right, this is the rapid fire round here. So we're just going to be... Let's do it. All right. So have you ever eaten a whole blank by yourself? That could be anything. A whole cake? A whole cake? You've eaten a whole cake by yourself? For sure. Wow. Well, how, how 100%. Big? Oh, wow. Not a big one. Not that big. Especially, <laughs> uh, especially if it was like a pie or something like that. Oh, yeah. Like a, pe- mine was like always a pecan a pe- pie. Yeah. Mine was always a pizza. So it's like, all right. What are pizza. your guilty pleasures? Uh, jiu-jitsu. <laughs> really? I wouldn't have right? noticed that. Yeah. This is the yeah, guy yeah. who posts his competition photos, actually. Uh, yeah. Describe your sense of humor in one word. Short. <laughs> enough said for the for enough one short. All right. And the last question I got for you here. Uh, what is your theme song and why? Oh, that's a good one. Not like the big music buff, right? But, uh, you know, again, always always been in combat sports my whole life, right? So the Eye of the Tiger theme song is always the, 
is always the pinnacle of, of theme songs for anybody who does what I do. So that's what I would choose. All right. Last question, then we can call it a day. What is something that people that people use that they think looks cool, but actually makes them look more ridiculous? Something that people use that they think looks cool, but it makes them look ridiculous. Yeah. Probably those sticks that are meant for like Nordic skiing when people are out there walking. <laughs> You know, really, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like they're on the, you're on the sidewalk and you got, you got sticks and they probably think like that makes them look a little bit more professional, but no, I think they should lose the sticks, even for the mountains. Yeah. Even, uh, one thing I think, but I, it makes me look ridiculous is the belt clip for my phone. For some reason, I think it looks cool, but mm. I can never get it to go. I, I think my wife would say, just put it in your pocket, just put it in your yeah. pocket. So I think that if there's utility, then I don't think that's so, I don't think that's so bad. All right. So thanks again, TK, for one last thing. So one more thing here. Any last, uh, you, where can people reach out to you? Um, so like our team websites, getleo.com. So that's really easy. My social media, Iron Bar Broker is uh, for my Instagram. Uh, but most importantly, Canadian Real Estate Show on YouTube. Check it out. That's, you know, where you're going to see me and my personality and information market updates, everything that you can possibly think of. But if you want to email me directly, TK at getleo.com. Hey guys, that was our episode with TK Butler. And you can tell it was an awesome interview. Like he is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the real estate space. Now, one of the most important things I noticed about the, uh, during the interview is that the idea of you're doing everything you possibly can for your clients and then realizing you don't actually do everything you can. So I think the most important thing about this thing is, is that when we are running our businesses is to actually have either some kind of mentor or some type of accountability coach of, of some kind. And it doesn't have to be a formal coach where you have to pay a lot of money for it. But even whether it's your you know, business partner, your life partner, whoever it is that you can really hold, that they can hold you to account to make sure you're doing everything you possibly can. Like in TK's case, he thought he was doing everything he could until he met Frank Leo and learned that, wow, I cannot tell clients that I, I'm doing everything possible because I wasn't. So knowing that you don't have all the answers and you don't know everything and to humble yourself to know that it's okay to look out for other help and get feedback out of others is very vital because I think for a lot of us, we think we know everything, maybe not all the details of certain things, but we think we know enough to run our business successfully. And in TK's case, as successful as he is, to always have an idea that, okay, I'm doing a lot of things to help out my clients. Maybe there's more I can do. And finding those resources that can really help you get to that next level of servicing your clients is a big, big thing I think we should all think about. So guys, that was it for the episode. had a great time recording it and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the SME Stories podcast, which is owned by Northway Capital Group. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Northway Capital Group.